Hey there, welcome to the show. So I wonder how everybody is doing this fine Sunday. You know what? As we kind of inch through the spring market, real estate is going to be a hot topic as it always will be. And so I've got some real exciting things to talk about this week. I've got two amazing guests joining me. Just so you know, I've got the minister, Jessica Bell. She's with the NDP and she's her riding is University Rosedale. And just so you know, she is also um, the uh, transit uh, critic, housing and tenant rights, urban planning, and so she's going to be joining me, and it's going to be great to have a conversation with her. A little bit later in the hour, I've got Bryn Lackey joining me. She is a real estate columnist with the Toronto Sun, also sales representative at Chestnut Park Real Estate. So uh, two fabulous guests, so make sure you stay tuned. Um, coming up, by the way, on Thursday, May the 5th at 7 p.m., I have my real estate, uh, I call it my real estate investment webinar. And you know what? It's going to be uh, featuring all sorts of things. I'm going to be talking about who makes the best tenant uh, as well. Where's the best place to buy? Also, what is going on with the mortgage market? There are a lot of lenders that I'm going to tell you aren't that friendly for real estate investment. So I'm going to tell you and break down some of the different companies and you know where you can get multiple uh, mortgages and who makes definitely the best lender for you for your future being a real estate investor. So that's coming up on Thursday, May the 5th at 7 p.m. Also, you can follow me on uh, Instagram at the simple investor one. But you know, I do want to get to my rant because it's an important one and I definitely want to get it off my chest. Uh, fortunately, I was on with Jerry Agar this week. Um, he reached out and uh, his uh, his producer, Becky Coles, always does uh, reach out to me and ask me, hey, Todd, what do you think of this? And you know what? Of course, that topic would come down to foreign buyers and the federal government turning around saying, guess what? We don't want to see any of them for the next two years. How do you feel about no foreign buyers in the marketplace for the next two years? So I have to break this one down because this one is getting more and more frustrating when the government is sitting there and implying the reason why we have a housing shortage, the reason why our prices are so high is because of foreign buyers. And you know, I'm sorry, but I'm going to just say it as it is. Get a grip, okay? This is not the reason why we are sitting here today in this marketplace. And I'm sure most of you know that my first part of my narrative always drives towards inventory, the lack of. We can talk about interest rates, which are starting to, you know, head up. So where is this narrative? What are they doing? You know, they don't have to worry about a federal election for the next three years. Why are they doing this? You know, and I believe that, you know, we've got basically two governments now controlling liberals, you know, party decided to get together and partner up with the NDP. So, you know, they can push this through. And right now we're looking at no foreign buyers. And of course, don't forget, they do they do want to emphasize the fact that if you are making it your primary residence and you're looking to become a Canadian citizen that you can buy. So there's a few caveats in there. But with this this latest budget release and what they're talking about is the fact that, you know, and, and, and again, let me go backwards for a second, because in 2017, one of the reasons why the when government decided to throw the foreign buyer taxes that they thought it was overheating the market. And of course, those numbers were massively inflated. The fact is, is that when we did the dive, it was about 4% of the market was being consumed by foreign buyers. Uh, just to give you an idea, about 2% of it's today. So foreign buyers aren't the ones leading the charge here. 
But again, governments want to jump on and say, okay, we're doing something to control the marketplace. Now, the, the provincial government was looking at to raise the foreign buyer tax, the, you know, provincially up to 20% from 15. So, you know, throw that in there, throw that wrench into the program. And so we're going to, we're going to penalize foreign buyers a little bit more. Now the federal government says no foreign buyers. So I'm going to ask one question. How does the provincial government feel about the federal government stopping their income stream? Because now all of a sudden, guess what? They get no foreign buyer tax at all. So, you know, maybe Mr. Ford needs to reach out to Mr. Trudeau and throw out a call and say, hey, by the way, you know, Justin, you, you, you cut my income off a little. Are you going to help me out? Because, again, looking at the big picture, it's like, why are we turning around and mandating it this way? You know, I get it. A lot of people, and I've seen it on the chat boards, they're saying, you know, Todd, you're condoning, you know, money laundering. Not a chance, okay? People are saying that foreign buyers are just typically money laundering here. They'll use whatever country they can to have some gains. Well, if that's the case and we've got the number dropping, that means that foreign buyers now realize that perhaps the market's kind of running out of gas. So that number's lower. So I, I really don't see it as money laundering that's happening. I do see people that will buy with the anticipation that they're going to move here in the future or perhaps send their kids here to university. And this has been one of the things that we've seen over the years that, you know, foreign buyers will buy a condominium. You know, it's going to be built in the next three, four years. They know the kids are going to come to you here for university. So they're actually setting it up that way. So why are we going to sit there and punish foreign buyers? Um, you know, I think it's the narrative. We keep going back to, they don't have a solution. So let's do this over here to make it look like we're creating a solution. But guess what? That's not going to change the numbers. And it's kind of funny because they're going to introduce this just as interest rates are going to start going up. So what's going to happen? And again, I want to talk about this because it's very, very important. I think that the market is going to, I'm not going to say soften, meaning going backwards from value. What I mean is it's not going to go up as fast. I don't think we're going to see the same numbers of units transacting as we have over the last 18 months. I think what we're going to see is I think we're going to see a stabilized market. So who's going to pat themselves on the back? Well, of course, it's going to be the government. They're going to sit there and say, we did this and this is what happened. We were able to get the market to get under control. No, you didn't interest rates are going to probably have that effect more than anything else. We will see interest rates as they go up a little, it's going to put people on the sidelines or they've just decided they're not going to go into ownership. So the people that are looking at being investors may not buy an investment property. The people that were looking for their first home may decide to wait it out, thinking that interest rates may drop down, or they're going to turn around and save up a little bit more money to come into the market. So this is this is my prediction on it. But again, what we're going to find is the federal government's going to take credit and say, look what we did to the market. We were able to control it because we imposed this. You know, it was the same reason that when they turned around the provincial government, when they threw in the land transfer tax, they said, look, we softened the market. No, you tried to wreck the market is what you tried to do. And what really softened the market was the fact that we implemented the uh, the stress test back in 2018. And all of a sudden, everybody had to qualify for 2% higher than what they could get. So this is where the market is sitting, folks. And one of the reasons why I want to, you know, dive into what the federal government 
is trying to do is they also threw out that they're going to give uh, some money away. And, you know, that's what governments do. They want to turn around and get patted on the back, you know, throw a little bit of incentives, turn around and say things are non-taxable. You don't have to repay this. You don't have to repay that, you know. But part of it is, is that they're throwing out the word affordable housing again. And I am going to talk to the minister about this because I, I take exception when everybody says the word affordable housing. I want to change the narrative and say housing that's affordable because when you imply affordable housing, a lot of time it's geared to income and we've got to drop it down and we know what we can look at in our own backyard for some of the affordable housing units. You know, some of them are in very bad repair and normally this is equated to rentals. And right now we don't see the governing bodies taking care of these properly. They're not doing the repairs nearly as fast as they should. And, you know, again, again, we can keep going on and on about, on about this. But the big picture when we talk about housing that is affordable, you know, and I'm sure there's going to be some governing bodies that when I turn around and say, why don't you lower, you know, some of your development charges, there's going to be lots of people that will turn around flat out and say, yeah, but we need them in place. You know, it's interesting because, you know, being originally from Mississauga, we watched a lot of developers come in over the years and they were able to build up Mississauga to being, you know, one of the biggest cities, obviously, in Canada. But what the developers were smart to do, instead of having the city put in, let's say, the sewers and the roads, the developers did it themselves. Because why in the world would you want to pay the city to do something when you can do it more cost effectively yourself, more efficiently, and definitely quicker. So this is where, you know, myself, you know, looking at the big picture, I think that putting the onus on the developer to put the infrastructure in would be a much smarter approach so we can get more properties built. I'm pretty sure that some of the larger corporations out there would agree. If they were told that they had to put all the infrastructure in themselves and they can remove you know, the red tape by half, they would gladly do it. In fact, you would see thousands and thousands and thousands of units built at a much faster pace than, by the way, we've got to have the city come in and do certain things. So I think these are the kind of things that when we're creating solutions, so again, when we're being told by the federal government, we are going to create a housing solution. It's not a solution. It's smoke and mirrors. And as I mentioned on Jerry's show this week, I think it's just a big fat zero. So again, that's my take on the whole idea of what they're going to do by sitting there saying, we got to sideline foreign buyers for the next two years. It's not the answer. It's not a solution. Uh, it's just, you know, again, smoke and mirrors. Now, as I mentioned earlier, coming up, coming on Thursday, May the 5th at 7 p.m., I have my simple real estate investment webinar and uh, we will be talking about who makes the best buyer. But again, I'm going to drill down a little bit more as, as I try to do when we talk about mortgages. The lenders out there, you know what? Not quite the people that we think they are. You got to jump through a lot more hoops. So I am going to discuss that. Going to talk about a new, new release we've got coming up. Really exciting stuff as usual. And uh, so if you want to register, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. And if you want to follow me, uh, you can follow me on Instagram, thesimpleinvestor1. And uh, as I mentioned, coming up after the break, I've got the minister, Jessica Bell. She's going to be joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, um, I'm, I'm thrilled to have my next guest joining me. Uh, she is actually a Canadian politician who was elected to the Legislative Assembly in Ontario in 2018, the provincial election. She also uh, she represents the riding of University and Rosedale as a member of the Ontario New Democrat Party. Uh, which is the official opposition, if you folks didn't know that. Um, she also serves as the critic, housing, tenant rights, urban planning. So you know what? I thought based on real estate, she would be our perfect guest. And Minister Jessica Bell, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today. Uh, you know, I'm thrilled to have you on. And um, maybe you can just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before you and I dive into our favorite topic, real estate. I am originally from Australia and I moved to uh, Canada over 10 years ago because uh, my husband, who is Canadian uh, is really close with his family and didn't want to move to Australia. And uh, since I've been here, I've always been involved in politics and social change. And I've, I love my job as an MPP. One of the reasons I love it so much is that I get to uh, advocate for more uh, affordable housing, better housing. It's the top issue in my riding. When I go door to door, it's the number one issue I hear when uh, I talk to renters, homeowners, investors, this is it. I do want to ask you a question though, because you know sometimes I, I believe that when we talk about affordable housing, the wording can, should be sometimes flipped around to something that I would say that I call housing that's affordable. Because you know, one of the things that we've seen in this marketplace, of course, is that a lot of first-time home buyers, you know, are struggling to get into the market. You know, some people deem affordable housing more of a of rental stock, something that the government normally provides. Do you do you see the same disconnect that I that I see in this kind of thing? Because again, affordable housing, you know, to me it should also represent the people that are just struggling to buy their first home. I agree with you. The definition of what is affordable differs uh, depending on who you are talking to. If you are a municipal staff person who is looking at making sure a low-income person or someone who is experiencing homeless can get a home, then they're looking for uh, housing that takes up no more than 30% of an individual's income. Because of the housing affordability crisis we are experiencing across Canada today. There are middle-income people, uh, working people, uh, people who are even in the upper uh, income bracket who can no longer find a home they can afford, especially when we're talking about buying their first home. Now in Canada, you need to be earning upwards of $200,000 a year in order to buy an average home that is beyond the reach of everyone but the rich it has to change it this kind of disconnect between incomes and housing prices is impacting our economy it's impacting people's lives uh, it is it is something that all levels of government need to address so minister do you see this also and 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 Forgive me, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I do is I analyze just inventory stock, you know, pricing on a regular basis, both provincially and federally. And when we take a look at these numbers, you know, we, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we, we do have an inventory shortage, which is then going to drive up pricing because of the demand. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we, you know, for us to create and build, um, and, and I hope to have a conversation with you about the new federal, you know, rules and regulations that they're talking about foreign buyers. But when we talk about, you know, creating more properties, 
that could be affordable. Unfortunately, we also have a lack of the tradespeople, so the, the ability to build this. You know, so this 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 problem isn't, I don't think, just dollar related. I think both, you know, from a from a trades being able to build it as well, it, it's creating a problem all the way around. You're right. In order to address our housing affordability crisis, we, we will need a multi-pronged approach. That means addressing investor speculation. It means how can we provide better protections for renters? And it also means building new supply. In Ontario, we build approximately 80,000 new homes a year. We need to get that number up to about 100,000 uh, homes a year in order to meet current demand. So to help those young people who are living in their parents' basement or who have three kids in a condo apartment and really need to upgrade, uh, but also to uh, respond to the uh, increase in immigration uh, targets uh, that we are seeing now. There, um, that's the, that is the goal. The, in order to uh, achieve that, it will require us to ramp up the trades and to really encourage young people, especially to consider and move into a career in the trades from bricklaying to carpentry to uh, electrical electrical trades. The, um, and this is especially a challenge because the average age of someone who works in the trade, trades is um, it's older, you know, people in their 50s who are looking at retiring. So we have a real issue there. Uh, a, an effective way to do that is to um, really encourage people in high school to consider a career in the trades. That means bringing back shop. So, you know, kids who are 15, 16 can start practically learning some of these trades. Uh, in my writing, we have a, a, a high school, uh, Central Tech, that is a leader uh, across Toronto in helping people, young people uh, get their apprenticeship, move forward to getting their apprenticeship while they're in uh, grade 11 and 12. Those kind of initiatives clearly need to be expanded. Yeah. That, so that is uh, important. But I do want to address another issue here around supply, and that is we do need uh, the stable hand of government uh, to make sure the right supply is built. When we look at construction today, we are seeing a real heavy focus on those big 60-story condos uh, that are uh, composed of, you know, 600 square foot micro units that, you know, maybe an 18-year-old or a young person might want to live in for a little bit. But someone in their 30s who wants to start a family, they're not going to be wanting to live in a 600 square foot condo. And then we're also seeing uh, a real heavy focus on building those uh, single family homes, those, you know, McMansion style homes uh, on farmland that are, are really too expensive for a first time home, home owner, uh, home buyer to, to buy. What government needs to do is uh, step in and make it a lot easier to build those missing middle homes, those duplexes, those triplexes, those townhomes, uh, those um, purpose-built rentals in neighborhoods that we that we want to live in, because those homes are typically uh, $500,000 cheaper than a semi-detached or a detached home, and but they're also large enough uh, for an individual, uh, a family uh, to move into and live really good lives. So when we're talking about supply, we, we can't just look at the, the uh, amount we need to achieve, but we also need to look at what are we actually building. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful point. You know, I've always talked about flexibility in properties. The idea of creating, and, and I do like your narrative towards duplexes and triplexes. I, I think that it also, if if a, you know, a younger family can buy a duplex, it allows them to potentially have some rental income to offset the expense as well as being able to live as, as ownership in, in the other part of it. 
And I think that this is something that may help with the solution that we need. Now, the one the one question I will ask, though, is the fact that we are struggling with rental properties as well. The rental inventory is getting very tight and we are seeing a upswing on obviously the cost of rent. The cost of rent uh, is going up uh, in the same way as housing prices. Uh, the pandemic uh, did soften rents, especially in big urban cities like Toronto, is the area I represent. But now that uh, we have moved to a live with it approach uh, to COVID and people are returning to the workplace, at least in a hybrid fashion, you know, three days on, two days off, we are seeing rents escalate. And that's also impacted by students returning, uh, universities opening up again. It is a huge problem. We do need to be building more purpose-built rental properties uh, within uh, all urban areas. It, it's a huge issue. But we also need to make sure uh, that the rental properties that we are building are more affordable for people uh, who rent. By and large, uh, a renter earns uh, half as much as a homeowner. And in order for them to you know, live uh, and continue to pay you know, the bills and the food and, and live, live good lives, they shouldn't be spending more than 30% of their income on a rental property. Right. In my uh, area, you know, I'm in a what's called a AAA uh, area. So rental properties in my riding are very desirable. It's one of the most expensive places to rent in the country. We see new purpose rentals, new purpose-built rentals being built that are being advertised for upwards of three and a half, four thousand dollars a month. And these are places that are maybe 1,100 square foot in size. So that is more than most homeowners are paying in a mortgage. That right. That is a problem. So there is a real need to bring in uh, real rent control for purpose-built rentals, for rental properties, so that we can stabilize rent and make it much more affordable for people to live the, you know, 35% of um, Ontarians uh, who rent, for them to lead good lives. And we're not just talking about students who are, you know, renting their first um, place because they've just moved out. We're talking about healthcare workers, uh, doctors, high school principals, uh, teachers, uh, people uh, who stock our shelves, people from all levels of income who, at least in my writing, are renting right now. And they, they do need some more stability so that, you know, our economy in the city of Toronto can continue to do well. If you make yeah. it too expensive uh, for people to live in Toronto, they're going to leave. And it will mean that prices go up for everyone because uh, people have to pay more in order to convince people to to take the job and stay here. Minister Bell, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, I do want to ask you the question about the new solution that the federal government has. So folks, will stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Minister Jessica Bell, and her riding is University Rosedale. And Minister Bell, just before we went to a break, you and I were talking about obviously affordability, and this is a big cause of some of the housing issues that we're like looking at, and you know, part of the market just being, I think, overrun with price increase because we don't have enough inventory, and both from a purchase as well as a rental marketplace. But you know, this week. The federal government has announced that they want to stop all foreign buyers being able to purchase as long as they're you know not residents of Canada but for buying for the next two years I would like your take on this because I think it's a it's a big move I just want to start off by saying that in order to make housing affordable again we need a multi-pronged approach we need to build new supply in order to meet demand we need to bring in better protections for renters and we need to clamp down on investor-led speculation so first-time home buyers can have that shot of buying their forever home the federal government uh, has uh, delivered on one of their election promises to put a two-year moratorium on foreigners from buying uh, property across Canada. I do support measures to uh, clamp down on investor-driven activity, including uh, foreign investor activity, 
to make it easier for people who live in Ontario, pay taxes in Ontario to buy their first home. That is something that I fully support. When, it, when we're looking at what we can do provincially, I'm a provincial MPP, uh, we uh, have uh, been advocating for a non-resident speculation tax of 20%. So if you are um, you know, not a permanent resident uh, of uh, Ontario, or not a not a Canadian citizen, you don't live in Ontario, then you would you would be paying a twenty percent uh, tax when you purchase uh, a home, and the the reason that is so important is because if you are an Ontario an Ontarian earning an income in Ontario right now, housing prices are too high for you be for you to be able to afford your first home. It's it's just completely out of whack. Uh, we are also provincially uh, very much in support of annual speculation taxes that really focus on investors in order to help that first-time home buyer uh, get a get a shot of bidding and buying on that home. So that looks like a two percent annual speculation tax on people who don't pay the majority of their taxes in Ontario or who have the luxury of being able to keep their uh, property vacant for six months uh, in the year. And our, our goal is that the revenue generated from those kind of speculation taxes would be immediately redirected into building affordable housing to give more options to folks that, you know, that are less fortunate. You have brought up, you know, tenancies and protecting tenants. Um, I'm going to flip another hat on, though, for a minute. Um, you know, when we talk about landlords, there are individual landlords out there. Without some of these landlords, we are not going to be able to have rental properties. So, you know, when we when we do discuss it, it, it needs to be quite even, um, you know, as you remember, and I'm sure you do, when, when COVID first hit, uh, a lot of the landlords and, and the provincial government had mandated that there could be no eviction. At the same time, there was very little um, pressure put on the fact that, you know, tenants would have to pay rent eventually. When we take a look at the landlords, a lot of landlords did, did suffer. They did not get their rents. They had to pay mortgages which for some of them was a stretch. You know, we can't always assume that it's the greedy landlords out there. I think that is a perception that we do have with some media. And part of it is, is that there are just, you know, typically, you know, mom and pops that happen to own an investment investment property. Maybe they're renting out their basement to help ends meet. So should there not be a little bit more of a balance in the narrative when we talk about both landlords and tenants? The pandemic was a huge issue for everyone in the housing sector, people who were renting, uh, people who were landlords. One uh, measure that we uh, pushed for uh, was rent subsidies. So if an individual had lost their income as a result of, you know, following public health measures, maybe they worked at a you know, local restaurant and the restaurant had to shut down. And as a result, they were laid off or had reduced hours and then they couldn't pay their rent. So in that circumstance, we were proposing that there would be a rent subsidy program. So that would help the renter stay in their home and it would also ensure that the rent is paid which would have a knock-on effect of making sure that there was stability for the landlord as well. Uh, that was um, introduced in other um, provinces and countries, uh, but it, the Ontario government chose uh, not to, to do that here, which is a problem. I also do, uh, do want to emphasize that, of course, there are good landlords out there. That's not the issue. Uh, the challenge is uh, within the real estate sector today, there has been a big rise uh, in big corporate landlords uh, that have been coming in, uh, buying up purpose-built rentals, and then using every trick in the book to, uh, in some cases, illegally uh, evict uh, renters who, you know, live and live and work in Toronto. So in my writing, you know, we have, I have, I have people who contact our office who are seniors, uh, they're 70 years old, they live on their own. 
Uh, they're usually women and they live on a fixed income and they've had a big uh, corporate uh, purpose-built rental company come in and tell them that they need to pay, you know, above guideline rent increase or they need to um, move because their apartment is being illegally evicted. And that is, and that is a huge concern. That is why uh, there is a need uh, to bring in uh, rent stabilization measures in order to make rent stable again, because 35% of Ontarians rent and a lot of them are just, they're not, it can't work for them financially anymore. If we're going to ensure that everyone in Ontario can have a home that they can afford either to rent or buy in order to achieve that goal, which is certainly our party's goal, rent stabilization is necessary. It is obviously a moving target at all times. And as you mentioned, there are good landlords, there's good tenants, and then there's bad land- landlords and bad tenants. I mean, that, that's, that's part of the housing issue. You know, back to, back to the idea of purchasing and affordability. Currently, you know, there's there, when we talk about development taxes, um, a lot of these builders do push back, and they are indicating that, you know, right now if they're building a six hundred thousand uh, dollar condominium, you know, they're paying one hundred fifty thousand dollars in uh, development charges. Is this something that can be reduced if providing that the builder is willing to again take the same reduction, so we can get more? you know, buyers in for more affordability? Well, there's a few pieces there. Um, by and large, the um, price uh, for homes is partly set by how much it costs to build it. But by and large today, it's set by how much someone is willing to buy it. Our party is most interested in making it easier to build affordable homes. And if that means uh, that um, we fast track developments uh, that have a certain percentage of affordable homes connected to them, uh, then that's then that's something that I'm very much in, in support of. The challenge um, with the fees is that when you you need to look at what the fees are used for. Uh, by and large, they used to uh, pay for staff to review the planning uh, approval, the, the project. Uh, and they're also used to pay for necessary infrastructure that uh, the residents who are going to be moving into that, you know, condo or house uh, will need. So we're talking public transit contribution, a contribution to sewage pipes, uh, a contribution to, you know, all the infrastructure that's necessary for, you know, a resident when they, you know, turn the tap on or turn their, their light switch on, uh, it makes sure it makes uh, sure everything works. You know, the city has to uh, pay for that infrastructure and a lot of that fee is for the developer to contribute to that. So that's not something that we would want to change, but we would certainly want to make it uh, quicker and easier for the right kind of projects to be approved. Well, Minister Bell, I'd just like to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a great pleasure um, having you on. And, you know, I do look forward to to hearing, you know, some of you, some of your plans in the future. And uh, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And I like the thoughtful questions as well. Thank you so much. That was Minister Jessica Bell from the NDP from the University Rosedale Riding. And uh, tell you what, I love reading certain articles about real estate. I try to read every article about about real estate, but guess what? I've got columnists from the Toronto Sun, Bryn Lackey, joining me right after this. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest, no stranger to the the real estate world. In fact, I like reading her column. Uh, joining me now is going to be Bryn Lackey, and she is a real estate columnist at the Toronto Sun. And Bryn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. A real pleasure having you on. I got to tell you, I am I am a fan. I, I do like reading your columns, and uh, sometimes it gives me a little bit of narrative for this show. So so I kind of. 
I kind oh, wow. of appreciate the intro on some of this stuff, so it's great. Well, that's lovely. Thanks. You and I have a lot to unpack today, just so you know, um, only because we've got, you know, we've got situations here in the marketplace, some of them you mm-hmm. do address. And, you know, a few of them, you know, I do want to bring up, up front. I'm going to start off with the, the, the big announcement this week, and I do want your take on it. You know, of course, the federal government, they, they want to, you know, look like the savior as usual. And yes. they're going to throw some foreign buyers under the bus saying that they believe that this is going to help the inventory issue that we have here in Canada. So mm-hmm. I want your take on it. I'm a big believer that how things are right now is unsustainable. So, you know, it's nice to see that the government is recognizing that the situation that has unfolded is very much something that needs attention and focus. I think this is exactly what I would do if I was a government who was trying to show that they get it and wanted to do something, but was doing the exact thing that would have very little impact and wouldn't be responsible for sort of upsetting the apple cart. I mean, the foreign buyer thing, we learned this in 2017. It was vastly overstated the impact it was having in our markets. You know, I think we saw a response to that and that was more of a psychological response. Um, Certainly now, I don't think, you know, increasing the tax by 5% is going to do anything. I think that it's, you know, a great way to say here, we're producing something. This is us showing up. But that in conjunction with the other proposals they made, it just seems like better than nothing, but sort of exactly what you want to do to keep kicking the can down the road. See, the federal government saying that they're going to block foreign buyers uh, for the next two years, you know, to, to me, when we take a look at the numbers, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up 2017, you know, 2016, you know, when the uh, Liberal government threw the, the, the Hail Mary, you know, let's start taxing foreign buyers. Um, you know, it didn't have much of an effect on the actual numbers other than, as you mentioned, perception. And I've always believed it was all about perception. Everybody thought that there was going to mm-hmm. be a foreign buyer walking up the driveway with a bag filled with money. And this is how real estate was being transacted when, you know, at the peak of it, in the GTA market, we're looking at barely past 4% of the marketplace. Right now, foreign buyers don't represent much more than 2%. And so, you know, I don't, I don't see this as being really, you know, the big saving grace that the federal government would like everybody to believe. But more importantly, I think, you know, I think people have finally adjusted the mindset that it's not the foreign buyers driving it. In fact, a lot of people are talking about speculation. And I know you've, you've, you've talked about that as well in one of your columns, you know, are there, are the real estate speculators actually the ones driving the market? And right now, when we take a look at the number of people that own only for one year, and that's where we kind of look at speculation, mm-hmm. that number is very low as well. So, you know, what is the perception out there in the market? If you talk about foreign ownership, um, particularly in the investment space, I think we have these ideas that there are entire condo buildings downtown, these like ghost hotels that are owned by people overseas. And, you know, the majority are empty, some are tenanted that, you know, even with the rental inventory, half of them are owned by people elsewhere. Um, You know, that's not really the situation these days. More often than not, when I'm helping someone with a rental, the landlord is someone who already owns a house and they live in Durham. They live in the city. This is a secondary um, sort of wealth appreciation vehicle that they're doing. You know, it's the idea that foreign ownership is going to be impactful. I mean, it simply isn't when you look at how... um, much of a thud the foreign buyer tax had. So I think if you're thinking that it's really going to curb speculation in our marketplace, it's not because I think that what is causing the speculation in our marketplace are sort of the lending policies that allow people to dabble in speculation. You know, they're the reason why I had, I had someone in my house installing internet 
these two adorable little guys are like 23 and they were talking to me about real estate and they said, Oh, I'm, you know, I, I'm buying a condo. And I said, Oh, Oh, really? I said, wow, you already own a condo. He's like, no, I rent here, but I'm going to buy a condo in Calgary. And I said, well, wh- why Calgary? Are you from there? And he said, no, no, it's just, they're the only place they're still affordable. And I said, so is the idea that they're just going to appreciate and you're going to make all this money through this condo in Calgary. And he said, yeah, I missed the boat here, but I'm going to catch it there. <laughs> and so I think that kind of encapsulates what's going on. I think there is this idea that pre-construction or condo investment is just, you know, the golden egg and that you don't actually, ha- you know, you can't go wrong. And I think that is what's driving it. It's the idea that everybody, you know, get your, get your down payment, worry about how you close later. People buy condos pre-construction without ever intending to close. They buy them intending to sell them as an assignment before closing. So I think that's, if you want to make an impact on how people are getting over leveraged, how the speculation is putting us into dangerous ground, I think that's what we should be looking at. Let's look at how people are borrowing against equity that they have in their current house to buy multiple condos because they think that that's a sound investment strategy because we've been almost conditioned to believe, you know, Bank of Canada telling us, take advantage of the free money. One of the things that I think that a lot of our listeners don't understand though, Bryn, is the fact that how taxation works when you do an assignment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had people on from CRA. In fact, well, some of the managers have reached out to me to, you know, get an understanding of valuation. Our good prime minister a few years back decided to throw another 50 million at Revenue Canada to increase their workforce so they could actually go after new construction because there was that that separation. So by by mandating that the the builders turn around and show who was the first person on the agreement of APS, then they turn around and then they take a look at land registry. And when they found the difference, they realized that there was this gap that they were not getting the taxation on mm-hmm. that assignment. And what most people don't realize is the fact that if you make a, let's say hypothetically, you make a thousand dollars, sorry, a hundred thousand dollars on an assignment after five years, that is actually deemed taxable income for that tax year that you get it. So, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody's got a $50,000 a year income, they make another hundred, they're going to have to pay income tax on 150. And this is, this is where that kind of that speculation where people, they go in only because people encourage them to do it. It's like, Hey, buy one of these condos. It's going to go up in value. And then they get left with this big tax bill. You know, and we talk a lot about the boogeyman in real estate. Um, I write a lot about how, yes, blind bidding, it's icky. I don't love it. It's not why prices are out of control. We talk about a lot of sort of the processes of how things go. And yes, all of it, let's take a look at all of it. But what I think is, you know, most important to look at is the advice people get when dabbling in pre-construction. I mean, I think, especially now as, you know, the economics have tightened a bit, I think builders have a lot of leverage to sort of do what they need to do to make sure they get their profits. You know, we've all heard about the projects that get canceled because, you know, the builder wasn't going to make enough. So all the people who had their deposits tied up for years waiting for this thing to break ground and get going, um, they're back to square one. And I think that when, you know, we all have those clauses in these agreements that, you know, we're not providing expert tax or legal advice. But I think when someone is selling a pre-constructive project off of a piece of paper to someone who is an internet installer um, who is 23, um, it is safe to assume that they're going to need the nuances of all of it and the obligations of all of it explained. And I think until that happens, it's pretty much criminal to me that a policy can take a turn like that without focusing on 
you know, the vast short, um, short supply of good advice being given to people as they dabble. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, and it's been wonderful having you join me. Thanks so much. It was nice to be here. And that was Bryn Lackey, and she's a real estate columnist at the Toronto Sun, sales representative at Chestnut Park. I also want to thank my other guest, Minister Jessica Bell from the NDP and her writings, University Rosedale. Wonderful to have her on and get her opinions on what's going on in the real estate world. So that's a wrap for this week. And don't forget, hey, you can join me on Thursday, May the 5th, for my Simple Real Estate Investment webinar. Make sure you go to thesimpleinvestor.com and you'll find out about our newest release coming out. It's going to be really exciting. I do want to thank my producer, Ian Grant, keeping it simple for me every single week. And more importantly, thank you for making us the number one real estate talk show. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.